Mary Meet, and welcome everyone to the Practical Witch Podcast. This is a podcast that's been on my mind for some time, and I think I have avoided putting it online for a couple of important reasons. First and foremost is because it is a very sensitive subject for many people, and second because it seems like I never have the exact right time and space and equipment to make a really high-quality podcast. At the same time, it, I believe, is better to have the content out there and information available than it is to have it absolutely polished and perfect. As you know, this is my first attempt at podcasting, and I am extremely introverted, and it's hard for me to speak in front of people. So I am pretending that you're just sitting here with me. We're sharing coffee or tea together, and I'm just speaking to you like a friend, and it's not a huge crowd of people that's going to be listening to it. And, you know, honestly, maybe only a few hundred people will ever hear this, but hopefully you are interested in what I have to say. If you have any questions or comments or even insight about what we're talking about, please do message me. Uh, We can do interviews in future podcasts, and I can respond to any inquiries you have in the comments sections on various platforms. So today, basically, I want to talk about incense and how witches use incense. Now, some of us just go down to our local big box store and we grab some sticks off the hang tag and we burn them and that's great. Some of us prefer a little more hands-on and for that, I often use charcoals placed atop of sand in a cauldron. Of course, these are the special charcoals created specifically for indoor use for incense. You can also purchase indoor quality incense charcoals from hookah supply stores. So you do not want to use the charcoals that are available for outdoor barbecues as these emit toxic fumes. Anytime you use an incense over charcoal or herbs over charcoal, resins, whatever you're burning for your rituals, you definitely want to crack a window, have at least a little bit of fresh air circulation. Even if your incense is non-toxic, even if your herbs are safe to use and safe to burn, it is always a good idea to get a little fresh air. We're combusting items here and it is just a good standard policy to make sure you have some fresh air available. So let's get into the nitty gritty. I think I'm uh, dancing around this subject because it is very sensitive. Let's talk about cultural appropriation. I am getting a lot of people coming to me when I'm making apothecary blends and incense cones and sticks and loose incense for people. And I often incorporate white sage. Now the white sage that I use is usually grown by myself. Occasionally, I order it from a Native American tribe that grows it appropriately and is not over harvesting. They offer their traditional offerings of tobacco or whatever their tribe does. One of the places that I purchased this Native American white sage is from Pima, P-I-M-A, Pima Sage. They have a Facebook page and an Etsy store. And although the price is a little high, there are good reasons to purchase it this way if you cannot grow it yourself. Before I get into that, let us talk about cultural appropriation in regards to sage. So before you yell or comment or send off a real heated screamer of a letter. Let me talk to you a little bit about herbs, plants, and botanicals. 
No culture can place claim on any single plant. Okay, that did that get you hot under the collar? Because when I was told that, it made me fume inside. And I went home and I thought about it for a while and I realized that I was sitting there drinking a cup of hot cocoa, which would not exist without South America and uh, Mayans and, and the culture of chocolate and cacao. Just as putting cilantro on your taco isn't cultural appropriation, just as putting oregano in your marinara sauce is not cultural appropriation, plants belong to everyone on earth. However, there's a big caveat here. A quick Google search will show you that because of the increased popularity of white sage, as we are all using it for cleansing and purifying our spaces, creating an ambiance of harmony, with all of this, we have this huge demand on white sage. And what's happening is collectors go out, raid entire hillsides. They harvest improperly. This is not wild crafting. I have seen several retailers and wholesalers offering me what they're calling wild crafted and sustainably harvested white sage, salvia apiana. They're getting it from usually Arizona, from native lands. They are not Native American people. Many times they have just been sent out with a plant identification. They strip everything off an entire hillside. So take a look at some Google, or just Google a few things about white sage and it being over-harvested and improperly harvested. Now, there is also a lot of information about how it's endangered or going extinct that that is going to vary. Yes, it's headed in a danger, dangerous direction. If we continue to utilize these retailers and wholesalers that are improperly harvesting, it's going to, it's really going to damage not just that species, but the entire biome. So, all right, let me get my thoughts together for a second. I'll be right back. Okay, so maybe you've Googled now and have found that white sage is being just basically attacked. We're like the parasites of white sage at this point. And when you go to harvest the plant, you may have your own specific traditions, but let me tell you what I do. I raise the plants myself and I have a very powerful relationship with them. Just having them in the garden, being around them, understanding their needs, sitting with them is is a cleansing and purification ceremony all on its own. When I go to harvest, I do not have a lot of Native American blood. And what little I do have, I just don't feel that it is appropriate for me to use Native American rituals. So I have created my own rituals by communicating with the plant on a very spiritual, psychic energy level. And when I go to harvest, I harvest less than a quarter of a plant, just the very tippy top points. Those have the highest essential oil production. I know I'm not damaging the plant and there's plenty left for it to grow. When you harvest just the uppermost leaves in the very top of each plant, not only do you have the part of the plant that has the highest essential oil content and the most potency, you're also, when done appropriately and in moderation, you are redistributing the hormones in the plant. It's, a, it's called apical dominance. So the uppermost part of a plant gets more hormones, more growth, and it spreads and reaches towards the sun. When you clip that off, 
instead of the hormones being directed to the very top, they get redistributed, <laughs> redistributed throughout the plant and all of the plant gets bushier, more compact and healthier as a result. Harvesting properly and understanding your plants is first and foremost when you're harvesting. A lot of times when you go wild crafting, you're never supposed to harvest more than one third of the stand. Now that doesn't mean a third of what's left if someone else harvested. That means a third of what is there. So if you go to, oh, even wild blueberries and you find a huge stand of them that's clearly been harvested recently, you're going to leave it alone. That third has already been taken from wild crafting, but that is a whole nother subject. The offerings that I provide for the plant, you know, when I started out back in the eighties, sometimes I would leave a stone or a crystal and through my communication with the plants, I've noticed that really a much better offering is something that is going to feed that plant. Many times I will use, this is in my own yard, of course, I will use compost and I'll give them a scoop of compost, uh, check them out for any insects, parasites, bugs, maybe pick off a few beetles that seem to be carving their way through a leaf. And I think that does more for the plant than offering them a stone. At the same time, I'm giving them the energy, the love, the gratitude and oftentimes even water especially during the summer which is a peak time for harvesting herbs for me that's when their essential oil production is the highest usually in the hot sun and particularly for salvia species once you have figured out where you're going to obtain white sage and have understood that it is not cultural appropriation to do so let's talk about using sage in moderation now it's great to get your sage together and do a traditional bundle However, and I, I see a lot of other bundles being made with lavender and juniper and just wonderful creations that are artistic with stones incorporated and rose petals. These are beautiful. And in many ways, they can be used as a wand without burning them, without combusting the material at all. You can just wave it around and use it much, uh, much as you would a wand or a bundle of herbs that you're using for purification. Now, a lot of times, you may even dip fresh herbs in spring water and sprinkle that water around and you can use your bundled herbs in a very similar way. Now, if you decide to burn white sage, you have to know that it's a love it or hate it kind of fragrance. And when I first smelled it, it was about, I think, 1984. A Native American man had come to this uh, group that I was studying with in New York uh, on Long Island called the Eyes of Learning. It was a very new age, very, uh, very, very white light, but I learned so much about crystals and stones and healing. And they brought in this Native American medicine man who had the eagle feather and the abalone shell and the white sage, and it was so powerful and so moving. It was the first time that I had truly felt in this particular study group that there was energy moving and that we were doing something. So I was extremely impressed. However, the fragrance of the white sage, I thought smelled because of the, the cumin type of odor that is a back note in it. Some people are very sensitive to that. So some people will smell this fresh herbal kind of a green fragrance. Others may get more of the potency of that cumin or that body odor or food cooking kind of smell. When I first smelled that, I thought, oh my goodness, this is just weird, but it worked so well, I didn't really care. Then later I found that depending on the time that I harvest that white sage and the way in which I dry it and cure it will 
significantly change the outcome of its fragrance. And you can get these clean, bright herbal notes that are even slightly minty and slightly lavender-like by, you know, harvesting at the appropriate time. And for that, I recommend Midsummer. Right there at the summer solstice is a beautiful peak time to harvest sage. And along with sage, Salvia apiana, other garden sage like Salvia officinalis, and the artemisias, such as wormwood, artemisia absinthe, and mugwort, uh, artemisia vulgaris, or vulgare. So those are great times of potency for those herbs, but once again, I'm dancing around the subject. Okay, so smudging. Smudging itself is a cultural ritual that is not my own. It is a specific ceremony. Instead of using the word smudging, for example, I smudged my crystals or I smudged a room. Instead of saying something like that, if that's not your culture and you're not doing that specific ritual, we already have a word for this. We've had this word for many, many centuries and it is our own, it is everyone's and we don't have to go into someone else's culture and appropriate their rituals and their, and their language, their words. So our word for that is sensing, C-E-N-S-I-N-G. To perfume the air, clothing, or person through smoke is called sensing. In witchcraft, you can use sensing to also imply that you're cleansing or that you're impregnating the air and the surroundings with the energy of your incense blend. So instead of, I smudged the room, I sensed the room. Or, <laughs> I know that sounds odd, but I sensed my crystals to cleanse them with sage. Now, it sounds strange at first because it may be a little unfamiliar. It's an old, old word in our language, but once you start using it, it becomes second nature. So instead of accidentally saying smudging all the time, I have now very easily incorporated the word sensing into my work. I had started out using this word and had kind of let it go to the wayside and set it aside over the last few years because smudging was so common. Every conversation I had with clients and people interested in an incense blend, we would talk about smudging. And now it's been fairly easy. Once I made it a habit to use the correct word, it's been easy for me to just use sensing. So there's my rant about the word use and cultural appropriation. And if you don't agree, do let me know. If you have more information that I'm ignorant of, please let me know. If you agree wholeheartedly or if I've helped you in any way, please let me know. I have a lot more to say on this subject, but I've been avoiding this sensitive area for so long that I, I think that's probably enough for today. The main feature points here are that using sage is not cultural appropriation. You should use sage in moderation. I don't recommend burning bundles inside. I, I reserve those for outdoor use and for indoor decorative and wand type use. When it comes to using white sage in a purification incense blend, I may use one or two leaves along with cedar and juniper, sandalwood, atlas cedar. There's a wide variety of purification herbs that I blend with this that not only improve its potency uh, in a synergistic way, but also make a much better fragrance. And I have also noticed that when I use white sage to purify, it tends, and this may just be for me, but it tends to leave a void. And you know how nature is with a void. If you cleanse everything out of a room, all you have is a big empty room. I like to add additional herbs to my white sage blends that add kind of a charge. 
So instead of just purification, cleaning everybody out, go away, I'm also adding a blessing or a seal over the top. So white sage and dragon's blood are very nice because you're cleansing with the white sage, purifying, creating some harmony. The dragon's blood then comes back in and creates kind of a wall of protection, creates a little area of protection. So you don't want to just leave a void. When you're cleansing with any kind of incense, if you're using sage, and some people do say saging instead of sensing, I still say sensing because oftentimes I mix other things with my sage, but I feel that it is a good idea to follow up any cleansing ritual, particularly a cleansing sensing ritual with some sort of other herb for protection or blessing, harmony, peace, joy, whatever it is that you're looking to put in its place. And just for basic day-to-day -day household care of the psychic and spiritual energies in the house, I sense with sage and cedar or sometimes lavender, and then I come back through and I'll sense with another fragrance. And this goes back to my talk about, all right, my mention of charcoals. When I have charcoal burning in the cauldron on top of the sand, I will often start out with just a few pinches of ground up sage and I'll walk around the room and the home clockwise while I have a window open and I push all of that negative energy out of that open window or out of the open door. Then when the incense that is on the charcoal has expired and there's no more smoke, the charcoal is still good, usually for about 45 minutes. And I'll come back and I may add, oh, some sandalwood to harmonize the energy and put a little protection and raise those vibrations nice and high and to leave a nice soft woodsy fragrance. So when people walk in my home, you know, oftentimes I'm dressed like a hippie or I have my garden clothes on and it already looks a little weird at my house. So having it smell like sage in an area, a very conservative area of the South where people do not know what that fragrance is. Of course, they automatically assume that I'm in there smoking, smoking the doobies. And <laughs> I don't care what they think, but it does make them uncomfortable. And I do not like to create disharmony with people by causing them discomfort. Now, that's totally up to you, but I also enjoy the fragrance of sandalwood when I come in my house a little bit better than white sage. But honestly, I like the combination that it leaves. It, it smells very similar to Oh, when you have a wood-burning stove or a fireplace and the fire is out, but you can tell it has that kind of rich, woodsy cabin smell to it. Anyway, I ramble on and I do apologize for the unprofessional aspect of this podcast today. It, I promise I will improve and I just wanted to get this out there because I've been humming and hawing around about talking about cultural appropriation and white sage, how people are ravaging ravaging native stands of it and how it will become endangered if this type of demand keeps up at its current rate of growth unless we start growing it ourselves. You can get a hundred seeds of it for about $3.95. They're a little tricky to sprout. If you want to try to sprout them, I have some great tips. Look up the temperature at which they want to sprout. A lot of times they'll need to be stratified. It depends on, on how you want to grow them, but you can also order live plants. So get in grow your own white sage. If you don't have a very, very sunny window, such as a southern exposure with about eight hours of sun a day, you can always get a cheap grow light. A cheap full-spectrum LED grow light might set you back maybe $20 and you'll have all the sage you want for the rest of your life. Even if you only harvest one leaf a month, which is really sufficient for most households. 
and because it really it is a very potent herb and you don't need to burn a whole pound of it just to get purification you should be able to grow it yourself and if you can't consider ordering from a native american tribe such as the pima sage that i mentioned before there are many others if you're next to a tribal nation check it out send some inquiries find out if they offer white sage if they what their feelings about its use are and you know don't be afraid of using a plant from any other culture that's what we do that's what humans do but i read once and i'm gonna leave on this note because it makes me chuckle and it makes me remember i had read an article on a blog and the person said burning sage is not cultural appropriation donning a headdress as a white american and going to burning man and running around the crowd smudging people is cultural appropriation now the person of this blog had of course worded that better but it reminds me that a plant is not cultural appropriation adopting somebody else's rituals and sacred plants and using them in a manner that is insulting and a violation on such a deep spiritual level that is cultural appropriation and it's beyond that it's it's to me sacrilege to the earth to the earth and her people so do what you want that's my take on it i don't really judge anyone for doing any anything different than what i do i do judge people for going out and what i consider raping a hillside of sage and there's not going to be any positive energy coming out of that anyway so I was going to end on that, but I wanted to tell you, I just got a letter from my wholesaler that they have white sage bundles for $1, $1 for me to wholesale these white sage bundles. So of course I immediately sent an inquiry of where they're obtaining this. And they said, well, we send out collectors to Wildcraft. And now I know they're one of the wholesalers that are doing this. And I, <laughs> you know, that I won't be buying from them anymore. And I regret that because they also have some wonderful sandalwood, but now I wonder where they're getting that. So have a great day and feel free to play with your herbs, play with your incense, burn random things in your cauldron with good ventilation and common sense and have a blessed, blessed day. This has been the Practical Witch Podcast in cooperation with witchacademy.org. I'm your host, Freddie Gladhart. You can subscribe to my podcast through Patreon and through any enrollment in witchacademy.org or through practicalwitch.com.